All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 143, the DFO Rundown, the NHL Draft edition, as uh, we are coming to you live from Montreal. And uh, the rundown is presented by Three Ice, the new 100% three-on-three hockey league that launches this summer. It's ongoing right now. It's overtime all the time, led by six Hall of Famers, Grant Fuhr, Guy Carboneau, John LeClaire, Larry Murphy, Joey Mullen, and uh, Brian Trotche. Three Ice is hitting eight cities over nine weeks. Uh, They're in London, Ontario on July 16th and Quebec City on July 30th. Get your tickets at threeice.com. That's the number threeice.com. Three Ice, the best part of hockey. I'm Jason Greger, Frank Saravalli, as uh, we're doing the pod face-to-face, Frank, uh, in uh, lovely Montreal. How are you doing? Bienvenue à Montreal. I mean, oh, tu français? Yeah, uh, no parlez-vous français. Uh, great, to, uh, great to be here in person. Uh, face-to-face is awesome. And uh, great to be in Montreal. Lots of buzz, things happening. This city is always on fire. Uh, hockey season or not, there's always stuff going on here. Oh, man. Like... It, 
be, being in a draft city where in a hockey mad market for the draft is fantastic. You know, whether I don't care if it's Minnesota, Montreal, doesn't matter to me, States or, or in Canada where people care that the hotel lobby people are asking you. And, and for Montreal, this is the first time since 85 that the, the host team has had the number one pick. There's even more buzz about the draft. There's lots of names for trades. Uh, we're going to get into today on the pod. Uh, what's up with JT Miller, the uh, St. Louis blues, Vladdy Tarasenko, uh, how Casey DeSmith, the goalie market, and, and this is an important one, I think, for lots of fans because are there enough goalies to go around? We'll get into that. Of course, uh, you know, there's the Yesa Pogliarvi uh, rumors to get to, the the New Jersey Devils, and the first overall pick, which the Habs have, and uh, I think they're going to use it. There's some talk maybe, but I expect them to use it, Frank, and there's, man, there's varying opinions on uh, who they're going to take. Yeah, and full credit to our guy, Chris Peters. This is his last week at Daily Faceoff. Did an unbelievable job this season. He was the first guy out there at his midseason rankings back in December, long before anyone else had said anything, saying, look, there seems to be some issue here, not with Shane Wright particularly, but just the way scouts are viewing the top part of this draft. He was the first person to not have Shane Wright, number one. We end up seeing Bob McKenzie and his final rankings on TSN, a consensus of, of 10 scouts. They go with Uri Slavkovsky in the number one spot. Look, there's always, and I, I hate to speak in any sort of absolutes about anything at this time of year, but there is certainly some talk and buzz that the Montreal Canadiens are not going to be selecting Shane Wright with that top pick. It's kind of an unenviable position. We had Ken Hughes on the DFO rundown a couple of weeks ago, and and remember what he said? He said, choice is good. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone wants to have choice. Well, in this case, I just feel like it's such an unenviable position to be in selecting number one in your own building after all this buildup and all year, it sort of sounded like Shane Wright was going to be the guy. Now they're in the spot where if they buck that trend, are they going to, is their fan base going to be up in arms about it? Well, the fan base might be up in arms, but let's look at some recent history where Guys went in positions that maybe they weren't supposed to go. You look back to uh, Columbus in 2016. Everybody was like, oh, yes, Pugliarvi for sure is going three. Columbus took Pierre-Luc Dubois. And and obviously that's worked out for them. Now they ended up having to trade him. And, you know, the the big one would be in 2019 to me when uh, Detroit stepped up and took Mo Sider number six. And people were freaking out. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw, remember Mo Sider uh, after he won the Calder was reading tweets from that timeline and from Red Wings fans who were like, what a joke this this is. And then you look three later the guy's a Calder trophy winner and it looks like an absolute beast. So to me, I still think being first is great because if you trust your scouts and you are like, Hey, this is the guy we want. Now there's no guarantee because we're, they're drafting basically 18 year old, some 17 for goodness sakes. And because I haven't turned 18 yet. So you look and say, who do we project? Right. I'm very curious about this draft, Frank. And then I think there might be nobody from this draft playing in the NHL next year. I think it's very likely when you consider lack of games played, right? Owen Power went one overall last year. He didn't play in the NHL right away. He's doing just fine. Like rushing guys, the league doesn't help. And to me, I think if you give players more, especially a lot of the Euros, when you look historically, but even I look at it, very few teenagers. I don't care what your name is. Heck, Leon Dreisel is a Hart Trophy winner. As a teenager, he wasn't good enough for the league. He went back to, to the WHL after 30 games and, you know, it worked out pretty well for him. So I do think fans get, oh, but if I'm a team, no offense, 
99.99% of the fans have watched the guy maybe twice. Their, their opinion really on this matter in an emotional one, I don't think matters to the teams. That's what kind of cracks me up about draft time. And I certainly am not anywhere close to a draft expert. And that's frankly why we hired Chris. I don't pretend to be one. I don't spend time watching. I don't study. I occasionally, you know, and I, I dig into the world juniors and see some guys there, usually the top end talent. Other than that, I, that's not my game. Uh, that's not what I'm into. So, um, you know, Chris is, he spent all the last few years watching Shane, Wright. I do think there is also a part of having exceptional status in Canada. That doesn't help. You get one extra year for scouts to pick apart your game. Um, where instead of folk, I think we do this all the time in hockey and, and maybe in some other sports where, scouts sort of work themselves into this frenzy where it's let's not focus on what this player does. Let's pick apart all the things that he doesn't do well. And sometimes you lose the forest through the trees. hundred percent. Uh, a scout told me that many years ago is, you know, reading some of my stuff and he says, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Your analysis is good. But if you only focus on what a player doesn't do, you're missing all the things he does do. Mm -hmm. No, no player does everything well all the time. And I do think that this year's draft, there is no McDavid or Matthews or, you know, clear number one pick. And uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see. In that a doesn't few, mean no, also there's not good no, players exactly. available. Look at, as I, I mentioned, in this cider. Well, I was going to say, I think in this case, this draft is particularly interesting because you might see a player chosen at 17 or 21 or 25 that ends up being the best player in this draft. When it's all said and done, you don't know. There's more uncertainty with this draft than almost any other. And Aside from the intrigue about who goes number one, my big question is if the Montreal Canadiens do not select Shane Wright number one, when does he get taken? Because I'm not the devil. I think the devils want a defenseman. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. It's Look. either Simon Nemitz or David Juracek. I believe there seems to be some talk about the Arizona coyotes at three. Do they go Logan Cooley? Who like, I would think, I would think that would make a lot of sense for them. When you look at the style of player he is, you, know, he, you look at his organization, he's an American. And I think that helps in some markets. No question. So I could definitely see that. My curiosity is, would New Jersey, would somebody be willing to really like Shane Wright? Say, hey, we'll move up to number two. That's that's why the number two overall pick remains pretty high up on our trade targets board. A new one today's Wednesday going up on dailyfaceoff.com is does Tom Fitzgerald's phone start to ring based on who's pick number one? Like there could be some real spur of the moment drama, I think, that exists on the draft floor. Well, there's a big rumor here in Montreal, and uh, it was Maxime Lapierre who put it out, I guess, three weeks ago, that the Habs should go all in and go one and two, you know, and offer up the 26th pick, the first pick in the second round, uh, Josh Anderson, you know, and, and see if New Jersey bites. And so I was looking at to, you know, to trade up a few spots. That would be insane, by the way. I know. it would. Josh be. Anderson, there are teams lined up to get him. That is the exact player the New Jersey Devils yes are trying to get we've heard tom fitzgerald say over and over and over again we want hard skill that's what josh anderson is and i feel like in some ways with his game he's only kind of scratched the surface on what he might be able to put together oh i'm whole i'm a, I'm a fan of anderson there's just there's not many players like him in the national hockey league now does he reach the status you think 
That's the question. And that's why, you but know, he's the still new- a, he's still a 20 plus oh, goal scorer. Yeah, like I it. think he could be a 30 goal scorer. Really, like he's, he's, he's what, scored he 27. 27, right? Yeah. So, and, and maybe even more of a, like, he's like a lot of players who, who aren't 30 and 40 goal scorers. It's just a consistency, right? Mm-hmm. To find, to do it more consistent every night. But uh, he's still not that old. Like when you look at guys who have just popped here recently, look at Nazem Kadri, for goodness sakes. He's had 87 points, bumped that's up the, huge. That's the Colorado bump though. A little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I think a comfort level bump too, maybe. And right. And knowing you're where you stand in the pecking order, but he doesn't ju- come back. Right. <sighs> I don't think he does. I just think there's so many too much money out there. Yeah. Too, too many lucrative offers. I for- think they're trying hard on Valerie Nachushkin to keep him. Yeah. I think they're, you know, they're probably going to be able to keep Arturi Lekkinen, the RFA. I wonder about Darcy Kemper. Well, the goalie market, man. Well, let's get into that, Frankie, the goalie market, because, you know, if, if you're Colorado and you don't bring back Kemper, well, who do you go after? Like there, there's Jack Campbell. There, there's Billy Huso. Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury. I guess you could do him for a year. So there, there is options. And, and Colorado has the advantage of being the, the Stanley Cup winner where guys would be like, ah, okay, I don't need to get full market value maybe to go there. I really wonder about Fleury for one year. In Colorado. I mean, you have Francois who clearly they're comfortable with and he's signed to a really comfortable number. Um, Flurry's not going to break the bank. I can just envision the drama of Marc-Andre Flurry going up against the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs. Like how juicy would that be? Assuming the the Knights get out of the uh, Pacific Division. Well, assuming they well, they could also be the wild card. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I just I I think that would be pretty amazing. Um, but I I think you you mentioned with Smith the Smith. I was really surprised to see the Penguins re-sign him because I don't think, and I think maybe even he got a sense that he wasn't really all that high up on their priority list or they had that much confidence in him. So given all of that, what it tells me is that there are not enough goalies to go around for the spots available. And there are going to be teams left holding the bag on July 14th after free agency, after a lot of trades have gone down where they're like, Hey, we don't have anyone to, to fill this spot. We're, we're in a spot where we don't, not only do we not have a true difference maker, we don't even have a warm body that can play. And so rather than Pittsburgh being left with nothing, they go, okay, well the devil we know is Casey DeSmith and we're going to bring him back on a two-year deal at 1.8 and we're going to get it done. Well, it makes sense. And I, I do wonder if this increases the trade value of a Georgiev out of the New York Rangers. Right. And oh, now Georgiev doesn't have great numbers. Right. Um, when, At least this last year, his career numbers are actually pretty good. Yeah. I think he has a nine or nine oh eight or nine ten career save. Yeah, percentage. which which is fine, right? It's about it's league above average. Yeah. yeah, and and but if you look at historically, like if you go back to to guys who were there's backups, not a lot of. No, as Cam, RFAs, Cam Talbot, the Rangers, right? Uh, Anti Ranta. Now he was part of the Derek Stepan trade, right? So it's a little bit bigger of a deal. But historically, you know, the like if the Rangers are going to get a second rounder and and maybe another round pick, that's probably what it is. So like Georgiev, I don't know if he gets traded on Thursday, Frank, but I think there's a very good chance he gets moved on Friday. Oh, I just think there's a very good chance. Period that he ends up move. I mean, whether it's today, tomorrow, the next day, who? He's, you know, he's moving at some point and there's a whole list of guys I think that are out there that are almost again, don't want to speak too much in absolutes, but are almost definitely moving. I think another one of those guys is pulley Yeah. Well, 
I, and I'm curious, well, I'll say this, having spoke to Ken Holland, you know, there, there was some talk about, oh, they're not taking a draft pick. They, no. they want an NHL player, right? Now, it's going to be similar to Pugliarvi, who's, who's not, who, who maybe, he isn't a complete package yet on where his potential is. And that's, it's a risky trade for Edmonton because there's a chance that, yes, a Pugliarvi, to me, if he got a skills coach and just worked on his puck skills in the summer and his edge work, because the guy's got a lot of tools in his tool bag. Mm-hmm. Those are the two obvious ones. Like that's stuff you can actually improve on, right? Like the analytics though, the people that are pointing to all that are just way off the deep end. Well, there's they? a small percentage of them that, that go overboard, right? I think that lots of other guys that you talked about and say, Hey, you know, there's some good things that he does. Like there, you can't, you can't discount the fact that he's very good at knocking down pucks, right? He's very good at, uh, at reading the play in the defensive zone, right? Whereas he just gets his stick in lanes, right? Like he's lanky. He's got long arms and, you know, a super long stick. So he's able to knock down pucks. It's just his finishing. And so his polish, but to me, that's something you can improve on. And so I, I think the orders, um, I, I think a trade is, is one where this is a divorce, Frank, where, you know, it was talked about before and I just, just think trying to get as much as you can. Yeah. It's one where both parties a little bit are like, Hey, you know what? I think a change of scenery might be good, but Ken Holland, he, a draft pick does nothing for him because they're in. That's not, I don't think that's what they're talking about. No, it's, it's getting another serviceable player that they can maybe build up. That's also 100%. been broken down a bit. Yeah. It's going to be a player who's not a, a full part product either. Um, or it's going to be used as a chip to get something else. Something bigger, I would think. Like part part of a bigger package, like a two so. for two or something like that. Yeah, that could work. I wonder about the idea of trading him to San Jose as part of helping facilitate a settlement with Evander Kane. That's juicy. I think that's a possibility. Yeah. Well, the, the thing everything's is- on the table with Evander Kane at the moment. Yeah. Um, In terms of what happens with his contract termination dispute with the sharks. I really think the league Frank is hoping that, that they, that they don't have to have this arbitration ruling. I think that's I think why the league is delayed. hoping that I think the PA is hoping that um, there's still no date set. I think everyone would like to have this behind them. The sharks would like to know what their cap picture looks like. Kane would like to know how much money he's making next year. Um, it's interesting though. Like I think I'm really curious to see what the market is like for Evander Kane if he makes it to market. See, here's the thing about Kane, though. He, they're convinced, I think, that he's getting somewhere between 40 and $50 million. Well, I think they look at this and say, if we don't really want to settle with San Jose or, or have it so, okay, you know what? His contract just comes back in. He's got the seven mil cap hit for the next three years because I think he believes he just had the greatest four months of his NHL career. The greatest four months when you look at from the time of the trade, Couldn't 13 have gone goals any better. in the playoffs. And so he's like, hey, I'm like Nazem Kadri. I'm cashing in for six or seven, not just three years. Right. Well, that's, will he? You can try. You you might think it's out. I, I per, like, it only takes one. Yeah. I personally just don't, I don't see someone willing to sign seven times seven for 49. Well, or, that's my, or even seven times five for, I just, I don't see it. Yeah. Cause the questions around Kane have been the same questions when he was signed. His on ice stuff, Kane's a hell of a player. Full stop. That's never been any yeah, question. It's, not an, it's Willie Vander Kane, the issues that have cropped up in other places, even just, you know, from a hockey perspective of, you know, not adhering to the dress code and, you know, kind of beating to his own drum. Do teams, are they willing to go long-term with that thinking it could arise again? That's the, that's from two different people that I've talked to outside of Edmonton. That's the same concern. Well, it has to be the concern because he's 
shown that he's able to be a chameleon multiple times now. Like when he first got to San Jose, remember all the, you know, everyone was singing his praises. This guy's changed. He's different. You know, I don't know what happened in the past, but Evander Kane grew up and they sign him to seven times seven. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you go, okay, well, what happened here? No, nah, it was once to Joe the point Thornton where they couldn't, well, they couldn't just, they couldn't wait to get rid of him to the point where they went through all these exercises. Can we terminate now? Can we terminate now? Can we terminate now? And then finally, I guess he, he sort of let them off the hook and gave them a window or an opportunity by not being squeaky clean to finally terminate the deal. What's crazy to me, Frank, about right now, the names that are out on a dailyfaceoff.com on your trade board. So we mentioned Nazem Kajri. Now, he's not a trade board because he's a UFA, but this guy just had 87 points. Evander Kane just was scorchers. He was on pace for 45 goals in a full season, had 13 in the playoffs. JT Miller is 99-point guy in Vancouver, and his name's out there, Frank, and and legit one because it, it sounds like Vancouver is, is leery about term, which I have... Uh, to me, the NHL could save themselves a lot of hassle now. And, and the players would actually get higher cap hits if, if they would all say after the age of 27, you get max five year term. NBA has it and their star players are making a killing. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why the NHLPA is opposed to this because you're JT Miller now. You probably could stay in Vancouver because everybody's concerned about term, but it'd only be five years and you would actually get a higher cap hit. They can't afford a higher, a much higher cap hit than but that what they're would be, talking but about. That would be the league standard. You know what I mean? It would just change. But the cap itself isn't changing. So I, it's kind of, I think it's a yeah. moot point. Um, but it's going to change in the next year or two. Like this isn't going to happen this three summer. three years away. I think it's still three full years? That's what they said at the, that, at the cup final. I, they said two potentially. So three not till 25, 26? Not till 24, 25, 24 at the 20. earliest. Yeah. Okay. So that's a long ways away. Yeah. That's half so the, the start, contract so basically for JT Miller, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So here's where things stand to my knowledge with JT Miller, the Canucks and Miller's camp met in Montreal on Tuesday and do not appear to be close at all on an extension. Now that seems to indicate given the conversation we had with Jim Rutherford here on the DFO rundown a few weeks back during this off season, when remember when he said, we'll know by the draft where things are heading with JT Miller, they seem to have their answer. It seems like it's been trending this way for a while that both sides have sort of gone into this eyes wide open, knowing that it would be very expensive. The Canucks don't seem to be on board and comfortable with how expensive it is. The Miller camp doesn't seem to have any question about what they can eventually get on the market one full season from now. And so I don't want to say a trade is imminent because he is under contract for next season and the Canucks could well go into next season with him. I would be very surprised if that ends up being the case. And I would be surprised if he doesn't end up moving at some point this week, just given the interest that's been there. Well, you look at Miller and I think where what what Rutherford and, and the guys in Vancouver have to weigh, Alvin, is if we trade him now, would we get more near the trade deadline? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I, I think at the I very agree. worst, it's the same. Yeah. At the very worst, it's the same. And you just have more players in play now that haven't shaped out their cap fully yet that don't need to move heaven and earth to fit the cap in. Not that Miller is on a huge cap hit in general because it's one more year no, at an absolute one more. It's an absolute bargoon. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's where they're at. 
So Miller's another big name. And then there's Miller's moving up to number two on our board behind only Alex to Well, and then, uh, Vladdy Tarasenko is, uh, is moving on up as well. Uh, he's like the he's, Jefferson's Frankie. Uh, he's moving on up. And it's interesting because if you, I wonder if teams look and say, man, if like if Ron Francis is still having nightmares because Seattle could have taken Tarasenko for nothing in the draft for a team that couldn't score. Uh, and then, you know what, if you didn't want him, whatever, but he would have been good for your team. Uh, Tarasenko is one of the few legit, like if, if he plays a full season, mark him down for 30 goals in your sleep. Like that's a no brain. And it could push to 40 depending on where he plays. And um, I'm curious about the return. He has one year left. Does Tarasenko get you the same return as JT Miller? I don't think so. Even though he's got a better track record of being a better goal scorer. Like JT Miller, you're right. He's coming off the high. It's interesting how, how, how I just you think there's so many other facets to Miller's game and he's younger yeah. and he's on a cheaper deal next season. I, I, I don't personally, I don't, I mean, I, I think Miller gets more. Okay. I think, I think what you're looking at for Tarasenko is probably not all that dissimilar to what Kevin Fiala got. Does that make sense? So a salary dump by the blues just opened up some cap space almost. No, like they got a legit package back in Minnesota first round pick. Yeah, but, but nothing like it's rare though to, to see guys with a big cap hit traded for no cap hit coming back. Right. Well, but they're looking for cap flexibility. Cause think about the guys that they need to sign. They've got Robert Thomas. Who's up this year. They've got Jordan Cairo. Who's up next year. Um, and I think they want to reshape their back end a little bit. Another name that's joining our trade targets board today is Tori Krug. And it's interesting because Krug has a full no trade. Um, his name has been floated out there by the blues as someone like, Hey, does this guy excite you or interest you um, based on your needs? Because we're looking to just create flexibility. So whether it's trading Tarasenko, whether it's trading Krug before it was Bennington, they're trying to move some big tickets around so that they can say, you know, we can do X, Y, or Z now moving forward on their cap. Um, just going back to Tarasenko quickly, that trade request, just so everyone's clear, has never been rescinded. Mm-hmm. Um, he had his credibility questioned, his integrity question, you know, last year and, and going back further before the expansion draft after, you know, do you want to win? Are you committed to rehabbing when really it was the blues doctor that botched his shoulder surgery twice. He finally gets it fixed from a a third time from someone in Vail that's not related to the team and goes out and has the season that he did. No one thought, at least I didn't think that Vladimir Tarasenko forgot how to play hockey. The guy wasn't healthy for a period of time. How do you knock him? So they, they went through all that and that wasn't pleasant. And then he goes through this year as their leading scorer, 82 points, 34 goals, monster season, and he's sixth among forwards in ice time. That doesn't make him feel good. Yeah. I I can't imagine it would. So that trade request hasn't gone away. He's now one year away from unrestricted free agency when they're going to lose him for nothing. He's very much in play. If I'm looking from a purely fit standpoint i got a team carolina well they they could use a finisher they could use a real difference maker like you need like a star neck ash no i don't think they'd give up neck ash to make that happen what were they gonna give up i don't know i just i think neck ash is really good oh yeah he's but 
I look at Carolina and, and I said at the start of the playoffs, Carolina had, that would be a home run for St. Louis. Oh, if they get that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it would be because to me for Carolina, when I look at their roster, you could take the name bars off lots of their guys and you wouldn't know the difference. And then that's not a knock on them. They're all good players, but they're all too similar. They don't have enough difference in their top nine. They're, they're all very similar type players. Whereas Tarasenko comes in, he's a legit finisher. He's a legit finisher. They have a lot of good players, but the, you know, Sebastian Ajo is close. He's not elite. He's very good. Right. And, he, and he's paid accordingly to his salary. I think he's got, he's on a great contract for them. But I look like to me, like, you know, who really could use Carolina, Frank? I mean, sorry, who, who Carolina is a Vander Kane, like a power forward, right? That's what they need. Whereas Edmonton, if they lose Kane, they're not going to, Carolina is not going to sign a Vander Kane. No, no, I know they game. won't, but I'm just saying that would be, it an would be one fit. of those teams that I think would be willing to do like a one year. deal. Yes. Yes. They're not going, they're not going long-term. I would agree. I'm not, I'd be curious of any teams that are going long-term, but Tarasenko, if you're a team that lo- like if Edmonton loses Evander Kane, Look what look what a shooter did with McDavid. You put Tarasenko on McDavid's when he'd score 50 goals. He scored 40 without him. You know who I really like on the right side for the Oilers? If no Kane, to bring it. Uh, there's another guy. He doesn't have the size. Like I, I think Kane is a perfect, yes. exact stylistic fit. He's got the edge. He's got the size. He's got the finishing ability. He checks all those boxes. I don't think they're in on to bring it, um, but I, I'm just talking pure need i think he's you know a proven two-time 40 goal scorer that's done it with patrick kane someone that may be as dynamic as mcdavid oh, like, kane's kane is so good to watch well there's oh. very few guys you can even put in the conversation i think kane's one of them i still think evander kane when you, once you're into the offensive zone when the puck's on a stick he's the most dangerous player in the nhl his confidence when he circles back and comes high in the zone, like you just, you see shrinkers tighten on the defense all across the ice, man. He's uh, he's quite amazing there. Speaking of Debrinkat, um, we've talked a lot about guys around the market. Debrinkat's name has been out there. Frank, you've had it out there for quite some time. Have you zoned in on who is interested? Who's at the top of the list to want to acquire Debrinkat? Not who, um, but I can tell you how many, um, I believe there's four teams at the moment that have put solid substantive offers on the table for Debrinket. I still can't tell yet whether the Hawks are going to pull the trigger. They're really looking to, to move up in the draft. They would love to get a top five or six pick. I think there were lots of rumors out there about the flyers being in on Debrinket. I, I don't think, I don't know where that came from. I don't think that was the case. I think that was a little bit overdone or overblown. Um, I, I I still haven't been able to zone in on exactly who yet, but I think, like I said, four teams have been sniffing around there. Do they do it by Thursday night? I guess it depends on what picks involved. Yeah. Well, the Hawks tech that would, what they would have had uh, in the set Jones trade, the sixth pick. Right. And that's gone to Columbus. Now um, there is, there is uh, a few other teams, Frank, that that have a, a lot going on uh, right now. The uh, the Calgary Flames being one. Uh, as as we inch closer, we are officially as we're recording this on Wednesday, one week to free agency. Forsberg and Goudreau, Frank. If I'm if I'm if I'm giving you probabilities, which one's higher to stay in their city a week from free agency? Forsberg. Uh, I think Forsberg. Yeah, me too. 
but I'm not, I don't know. I, I it's funny because everyone looks at the Johnny Gaudreau situation and they say, they have all sorts of pessimism, right? They're like, oh, it's gone on this long. Why hasn't he signed? You know, they backed up the Brinks truck for him. And it's basically been sitting there idling in his driveway. He, all he has to do is come on in and open up the doors and dive in like Mr. Scrooge into a fat pile of money. <laughs> but in this case, I actually have a tinge of optimism. Like, I think there is a... Obviously, there's a real chance the fact that they're not out. I just think it's been an agonizing decision for Johnny. I think it's been, I think he understands at the end of the day that financially the best decision for him is to go back to Calgary because no one's going to come close to matching with the eighth year. I don't think what the Flames are going to be able to offer unless he has designs on taking a shorter term deal, like what you were just talking about with JT Miller and going like five years for a bigger cap hit. I personally, I don't know that it makes sense to give up the security of the additional 25 million bucks that you'd be leaving on the table. Um, But if he believes in his ability, look at Joe Pavelski, right? Like there's guys that are in their mid thirties are still getting good cake. So I, I really wonder if we see, and I'm curious, because what I'm intrigued by this is NHL players have rarely done it. John Tavares, and that's really it. Big name guys who have left. Now he left and he got paid huge. So, you know, and people can debate. He's going to be getting paid huge. Yeah. But would you say, you know what? I'll take a five-year deal. I don't need eight or seven because I'm confident enough that I'll get those extra two I years don't think on that the next deal. W- that doesn't work for the Flames, though. He'd have to get that on the market, I think. No, no, I agree. But does... Like, the Flames aren't in a spot to say, like, we'll give you 13 over five. Like, it doesn't... No, 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 not that. Nothing like that. But... Like the- Here, here's what I believe the situation is financially. They have basically said to him, our starting point is eight times 9.5. We are willing to give you whatever you need, whatever you want. That's why I think they've truly laid it all on the table and said, do you want 11 times eight? Do you want 10 and a half? Do you want 10? And they've sort of worked through the permutations as to, okay, this extra half million, like we're fine giving it to you. No problem. Take it. Like we want you to be satisfied and happy and content, comfortable, all those things. Here's the impact Uh, that half million doesn't have a huge impact on your take home, but it does have a huge impact on what we can do with this team. And so if you're at 11, well, like we're not winning that third pair guy that you want to get. We're not, we're not signing him and that cuts or limits what we can give Andrew Mangiapani. And therefore it also limits what we can do with Matthew Kachuk. That's, that's sort of the way that they've worked through this with Johnny and they've been completely transparent. What they're waiting for is him to come in and say, I want to be a Calgary flame. I want to finish my career in Calgary. I, this is the place I want to play. He hasn't done that yet. And he hasn't been able to make up his mind. I think part of it is like the curiosity factor of just, I've made it this far. I really want to see what's out there, but like, Again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't accuse anyone of tampering, but who's kidding who here? Like, I think there's been a clear expression of Of hypothetical interest. Should this player be available and make it to market? I have no doubt that that's gone on with tons of players. In fact, like there has already been some interesting whispers of deals that, you know, have, or maybe close to cooked or things like that. Um, 
I don't know how much more Intel he's possibly going to get by making it to market. Like it's not hard to look at everyone's cap situation and say, these are the teams that can make it work. Who really gets you excited? Well, that's the, if he wants to be in a competitive team, look across the league. The competitive teams are all in a fairly similar boat when it comes to cap space. They just don't have a lot of it. So, uh, or a lot of extra. And so you're right. Hey, I, I kind of feel for the flames in this spot. Like they can't really do anything else with their cap and their roster until this is decided. Well, like I, you can't get Kachuk done. Does Kachuk want to stay long-term if Johnny's not there? You've got all the Manjapani, Zadaroff, Good Branson, like all these other pieces that you need to fill out your roster with. And if he's not back, how do you pivot quickly and make your team competitive again? You know, you could make the argument that this is all on the flames because they didn't get it done last summer that they should have just ponied up and paid then because he goes out and has a monster season and the number has ratcheted up by, I don't know, conservatively 15 to 20 million bucks in total. I would say like if he was at maybe eight times eight before, like if it's eight times 11 now, like that's a lot of money. Um, And it may not go that high, but even if it's just eight times nine and a half, it's a lot, it's a big difference. Um, Yeah. Like, they're in a tough spot. They really are. And, and, and also like, how do you put his feet to the fire? How do you, how do you give him a deadline? Like, so when they, if they leave Montreal, right, they leave the draft on Saturday, they go back to Calgary and they don't have him signed. Like, well, then they got to qualify Kachuk on Monday at, at nine. Now, sending a qualifying offer is easy because you you can always sign a seven year deal for a lower cap hit than the, than a nine million qualifying offer, right? Like that's just your QO. But um, you're right about you know there's always a trickle down effect here, and um, it's it's unique for a team to have their two top line players both up for contract in the same offseason. That just rarely happens. Right. Usually they stagger it. But you know what? Uh, Kachuk and Goudreau both up now. Granted, Kachuk's an RFA, so at least they maintain his rights regardless. But I you can't kind recall. of queued up the like, remember we were talking about St. Louis and Tarasenko and like clearing out cap space like that always seems to be the like. But what about I, a Kachuk remember, for Tarasenko trade? Well, remember as long as like. And it's, it's popped up a lot recently, but like how many years now had people been saying like Johnny Gaudreau to the flyers because he's from there, that same sort of, it almost seems like a same sort of premonition is already beginning to, you know, sort of make the rounds. It's like, well, if he's not going to sign in Calgary long-term, maybe that's the fit is St. Louis. Yeah. My, my one wildcard team though, for a Gaudreau signing is the Pittsburgh Penguins. No chance. Yeah, If they let Malkin walk. I don't think so. Yeah. All right. That's my wild card team though. So. I mean, I could understand why I just, well, I think they'd be interested. I, they just, they don't have the cap space. And I think they've been in this sort of knockdown drag out fight for Chris Letang. One last name before we get to Tyler Ramchuk, uh, Jacob Chikrin. He, you know, Jacob Chikrin was very honest in his exit meeting and said, man, I don't want to sit here uh, knowing that our team is just compiling. They've already got seven picks in the first two rounds. They got a total of 10. I think by the time the draft's over, they might have 12. But is Chikrin, how close is he to being moved? I can't really get a good sense. He's been out there so long. So many teams have been in the mix and out of the mix. I think the asking price team's view is really high. And I also think there are some teams with the way that Chikrin played this season 
granted on a bad team yeah. uh, coming off of an 18 goal season that pe- I think a lot of teams are like, I'm not sure how good he is. What is he? Is is he an, is he a two? Is is he a one? Like is he a three? Like I, I really think teams aren't sure. I think it's really difficult for some players at times, Frank. To, I spoke to Andrew Cogliano uh, earlier this week, and when he was in San Jose, that was the first time in like eight years for him that he, in his words, where he was playing kind of meaningless games down the stretch because they were out of it. Arizona, when the season started, they were out of it, and they, they and everybody knew that. The, Remember, the we were that, having like we were talking on the pod, like. Will they, how many wins yeah, will they finish right? with? So they, so they I actually vastly exceeded no, they, expectations. They, they, I picked the over way. and I, I look at the, <laughs> the, yeah, the coyotes. I think that's a really hard situation for some guys to play in. Right. And you look and, and yes, you want to be as professional as you can, but it weighs on you. And so, well, when you hear your name, I don't think he had any designs on ever leaving. Like my understanding. And I've talked to people about this a lot is he loves Arizona. Like he loves living there. He's got a great setup. I think a lot of players love living there. Um, I don't, he wasn't horny to get out. If that makes any sense, like he wasn't banging, beating the door down. Like I think he was, uh, that was a lot of words that I just threw together there, horny and banging. Um, <laughs> as I replay that in my head there, they, once he heard his name out there, I think it was kind of like, well, that hurts. Yeah. And then it was like, well, is it true? And then I think the coyotes were like, well, we're in a position where we'd have to listen on everyone, basically not saying no, that I think, it was like, well, what am I doing this for? Like I, I've committed to you. I've been all in on your team and what you're building. This team is going to, you're, you're telling me we're going to lose for at least the next three years, probably the next five. At what point in my career, am I going to get a chance to compete? I don't want to go through this year after year, getting my brains beaten in every year, just for your team to be hot garbage. Like I, I think that, that whole thing has sort of played itself out to the point now where it's like, remember Ekman Larson came back after that trade fell through and he ended up playing out. That's kind of what this feels like is like they already had their moment with Chicker and his name's been out there. It feels like they got close. It didn't happen that now I just feel like you have a hard time putting the genie back in the bottle. I would agree with that. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tyler Uremchuk on a Wednesday uh, morning. Tyler. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, welcome to my hotel room as well. Let me set the scene for the listeners because we're not doing video. We probably should have done that. But So it's a big, long couch in my hotel room and you, Frank and Jason are just sitting facing each other and they've just been staring into each other's eyes for the last 40 minutes. It's They're been great to make, watch. It's a very long couch. Okay. It's a very yeah. long yeah. couch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, the buyer sell today. No, fill in the blank today. Sorry. My brain is scrambled. It's delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Promo code RUNDOWNDD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Uh, Let's start with the one piece of big news that we got this week, and that's Mike Greer becoming the first black GM in NHL history. Now the GM of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, The most important thing for Mike Greer to do this summer as Sharks GM is blank. Jason? I really liked his response, and it was kind of the first time he'd heard from the organization. We might have to take one step back or two step back to go forward. I think they have to change the makeup of their defense, right? They've got to add. And so, and, and I think Brent Burns is the, the obvious trade piece because Burns can still play Eric Carlson's cap it. You're not moving it. Same with Vlasic and they don't want to move Ferraro. Right. And so I think Brent Burns will have intrigue from around the league. I've said this all along and, and on the pod. I think if, if John Klingberg doesn't resign in Dallas, I think because of uh, Brent Burns is, you know, he's got his, his uh, animal farm and everything like that. Uh, he's a right shot defenseman. I could see him and Dallas being a fit for a trade. So I think they've just got to revamp their team a little bit, get some multiple pieces because they've got a lot of holes in their lineup. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm with you. I, I don't know how you could bring this group back as assembled and, and hope for a different result at some point, four years in a row, it's insanity. Yeah. Um, I wonder what they do on so many different levels. Coaching, that's one. Goaltending, like I, they James Reimer had a great season. Well, they got three goalies right now. Yeah, but yeah. do are any of them guys that get you excited? Yeah, like uh, they got they got a lot. They got three guys who could all split duties. Maybe none who are a starter. But considering Frank, what we talked about earlier about the goalie market, there could be some value there. Whether it's a, I think Reimer is the one guy they want to keep. And so, uh, you know, Cap, Kakinen or uh, Aiden Hill, you know, can you move one of them? I don't think they get a big return, but they could get some more pieces. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to just hit on quickly before we moved on to the next question. The idea that you mentioned of Dallas not re-signing Klingberg, which he's going to market. I, they've had talks in the last couple of weeks, and I think they're both pretty clear that it's not going to work out. Um there is this musical chairs game, I think, going on right now with a number of other, and I, it's not even fair to call them secondary pieces because they're actually primary pieces where you could see a team step up to trade for a player um, if they're not like, okay, so let's let's back up to Chris Letang. If the Penguins aren't able to re-sign him, and this is now sort of going down to the wire, and I think both sides have dug in a little bit, that if they're not able to get him, I, 
I've reported this previously. They've been talking to Montreal about getting Jeff Petrie. If it's not Jeff Petrie, it could be Tyson Barry. If it's not Tyson Barry, it could be Tony D'Angelo. So there's this kind of group of power play specialists. And now you can add Tori Krug into the mix. That's like, there could be some of these guys moving around that I think some of these teams that have them are in great spots where it's like, well, not everyone's going to be able to be kept, you know, Carolina's may not be able to keep Tony D'Angelo. So do they trade for Tyson Barry? Like there, there's a whole. And does Edmonton trade Tyson Barry if Duncan Keith retires? Well, that then you're talking about a pure like off season surgery. Like that's, that's a, that's a lot of operation on your defense. That's why I don't think they would. I think if if Duncan Keith opts to retire, I think that that lowers the chances of Edmonton trading Barry. And how would you handicap the Duncan Keith retirement at this point? Well, if you would have asked me at the end of the season when I talked, I thought there was like 2% chance that he was retiring. I thought for sure he was going to stay because he was having so much fun. But the longer this goes, it's a tough decision. My gut still tells me he's coming back, but I think like he he's contemplating. Like it's, a, it's not- I think it's 65-35 that he retires. You think it's, oh, so you've gone over 50. See, I was, I thought it was kind of clinching 50, 50. Cause here's, it's not that he doesn't love playing still. It's, does he love the work that has to go into so he can play at the level he wants, which happens in the off season, right? The players love the game. No player misses the game. It's, it's all the other things. And here's the thing about Keith. And um, some players have always said, you don't want to retire when you're not liking the game. Right. And Keith, the last few years in Chicago were not fun for him. Not fun for the Hawks. He wanted to retire leaving Chicago and they said no, yeah. basically because of the cap recapture. Yeah. And they more or less be, and I guess because of the relationship he had with the franchise, it was like, well, I guess I'm not going to stick you. So trade me somewhere where I can be closer to my son. Yeah. And that's where Edmonton came in. And I, I think he enjoyed his oh, year. He did. And the, and the order to get to the conference final. That's the one thing that sort of, it's been a real boon for Edmonton because now Team players are coming out of the woodwork to to present themselves to Edmonton, saying like, "Oh man, we saw you get to the conference final. We saw Connor McDavid. I want to be part of that." It's also what's probably keeping Duncan Keith one year potentially longer than maybe he even wants to if he ends up coming back. This was a question about Mike Greer, and we got a lot of Penguins insight and Oilers insight, so that's great. And Dallas insight. This we is a full a lot service podcast. Yeah, it is. Uh, no, yeah, we're we're covering everything. Trying to here. empty the notebook because it's all going to change and it's all going to be old and stale by the time you probably listen to this. Yeah. Uh, second one here. Uh, we saw some interesting hires and promotions around the league. Doctor Haley Wickenheiser, who was a guest on this podcast, I think almost hundred episodes ago now, which is crazy. Uh, she's now the eight or an AGM in Toronto. We had Jessica Campbell who's going to be on the bench down in the American Hockey League. So your question is, we will have a female head coach or GM within blank years, Frank? Three, and I think wow. we see a GM first. Jay. I just think there are GM uh, front office track candidates mm-hmm. that are further down the path than any sort of female yeah. coach. I, so I, I think we see a GM first. And you, you've mentioned just one candidate yeah. in Haley Wickenheiser, but there's also the two in Vancouver, Emily Castingay and Cami Granato, who are both assistant GMs in van. Um, it's, it's going to happen at some point. And, and finally, like with Mike Greer too, like paid his dues, did all the work ground through it has been at 
basically every level. And it comes from a family with a long history of sports executive background from his dad, Bobby with the new England Patriots and the Miami dolphins to his brother, uh, Chris, who's the current GM of the dolphins. Like it's, it's been in his, his family history and he's done all the right things at the NHL level to get that opportunity. Yeah, I would agree. It's coming and I agree wholeheartedly. It's going to be in management. Uh, it's all going to come down to, the, the fit, right? Like there's a lot of times it just comes down to the organization and that person mix and jive. Uh, I, I will say probably five years. I just hope that whenever it happens, it's not because some team wants to make a woke statement because we've seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like an attention seeking hire. And I, I really liked the first thing out of, I forget who said it from the sharks, but they were like, we picked the best candidate and Mike Greer also just happened to be black. Yeah. I thought that was a great line as well, but I think it, there would be a deserving candidate. Cause like you said, Frank, there's so many already kind of working their way up through Maybe someone that we don't ranks. know yet yeah, that, that just cool. burst through the scene is like, Hey, this person is amazing. All right. Third one I got for you, Frank, you mentioned a lot of this info could maybe be irrelevant by the time uh, people listen to the podcast. So the question is, we will see our first significant trade blank. Will it be this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night, right before the first round starts? What do you think, Frank? And you're talking like legit NHL player. Trade. Yeah. Like a, like I a think it's Thursday. I, I, I'd love to see something materialize Wednesday. I just know this is the, this is the overanalyzation National Hockey League. Like, let's have 19 more meetings and talk about it with every person in our room to sift through it for the 27th time. I don't know. It, it always feels like with hockey, it's paralysis by analysis. Hmm. I'm going to say uh, Thursday between picks 14 and 23. Wow. You think we're going to be waiting for a Why while then? here? Uh, because I, I I don't see a team in, in the top that's... Uh, Unless it's New Jersey, New Jersey's the one wall card. I was looking at all the teams that are picking. Um, New Jersey has so many things in play. Yeah, I know. So I, you know, I'm probably regretting that already. But I, I was looking at the teams that are picking more so in the in the middle tiers of the draft that um, you know will move a pick, but it's going to be a hockey trade that includes the first rounder. You know, it's not just going to be this player for the first pick. I don't think that there's going to be salaries involved, and it's going to include the first rounder. All right. Points bet bonus question brought to you by our friends over at points bet Canada live in Ontario. Uh, they have odds up for the first overall pick in the NHL draft. They have Shane Wright as a big favorite minus two seventy five. That is implied odds of seventy three point three three percent. So I will ask you guys, what's your percentage chance that you think Shane Wright goes first overall, Jason? Oof. I'm going to say it's 50 50 because I think Montreal exactly is, what I was gonna is say. looking hard at Slavkovsky right now. Mm. Yeah, 50 50 is what jumped into my mind too, actually. That's funny. That's I think that's the real question is if Shane Wright, and it's still a big if, if he doesn't go number one, where does he go? Yeah. Is there a chance he falls to four? I'm, I'm on team chaos. Let me just say that for the And I yeah. like, and, and by the way, I like Wright and Slavkovsky. If, if a guy goes, it's like to me, sometimes when you have to make your, your, your votes for a player awards, the guy you pick number one, and the guy you pick number two, it's the slimmest of margin, but yeah. you eventually you have to make a decision. And yeah. I could see Montreal being in that spot. They're two different players for what their odds are, but man, that's Slavkoski. ever since he kind of, I really watched him, uh, you know, earlier this season and at the worlds and, you know, you, you saw him at the Olympics and you're just like, man, this guy is such a big human. And he's so young, like the potential on where he can mm-hmm. go is. In, and I look at Montreal, like they got a lot of small forwards. 
Right. They got a lot of small forwards. He fits their bill. He's just as skilled as Shane, right? Like it's not like one guy's infinitely more skilled than the other. So from a stylistic fit of your organization, if you think Caulfield and Suzuki are two of your main guys moving forward, you're going to need some size around them. I, I, I don't, I don't even know that it has, it, it partially has to do with some of that and the stylistic fit. I think this all comes down to potential. Yes. And that's the hardest thing to judge mm-hmm. as a scout. It's yes. not what is the player now. It's what will they be in five years from now and who has the highest ceiling? Yeah. Be, I think Shane Wright could have earlier success in the NHL. That doesn't mean he's going to be the best player in five years. Fair enough. All right. That's a wrap on another edition of fill in the blank delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Now, before we go, I do want to talk about Mike Greer and the uh, San Jose Sharks. Obviously, historical day for the Sharks to have hired the uh, the first black general manager in the National Hockey League. Uh, it, it might have taken a little bit longer than, than a lot of people thought, Frank. Um, uh, either way that they get to their guy, you know, he's coming in. They got the GM meetings uh, today, Wednesday. Then there's a draft. He's not going to have huge say regardless of who was hired, right? Like you have your director of amateur scouting, Doug Wilson Jr. They've got their other scouts. Those are the guys who are ultimately going to be, you know, heavily involved with their opinions on it. But I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see, like, it's like you're almost drinking out of a fire hose is an analogy. Lots of guys have said where you come in and, and he's coming in like, this is trade. Like the, the, to me, the, the this tough is the part. hardest. Yeah, the you're, draft. You're entering the cauldron yes. of of I I think it's such a crappy position to be in. And I think for a team that knew a long time ago that Doug Wilson wasn't going to be able to continue and they've had an interim GM in place for so long, it, it's like borderline inexcusable to basically put him into this spot. And I'm sure he's done all of his prep and homework thinking that if I get the job, I'll be able to hit the ground running. But for anyone that thinks that this was cooked, um, that Mike Greer was has known for weeks that he was going to be the guy and they just kept it under no. wraps. Nope. This is something that materialized and, and was finalized really over the weekend uh, to the point where the other finalists were making their own plans as if I'm coming in, here's what I would be doing. And, and we're working on that. I don't get why it seems dysfunctional that it took this long. Well, I mentioned on the last pod that, that Ray Whitney that circled back and was right in as a finalist. And, you know, cause I, I remember talking to a, to a GM who got a job uh, in the, in the CFL and how in his part of his presentation and every league's pretty much the same, you come in. And so when they, they're, you're, they're a candidate. So they're interviewing Mike Greer, but then they're also interviewing him. He has to bring kind of his business plan on his attach on. Okay. So this is who somebody I'd maybe want as an assistant GM. Here's somebody I'd want here. Here's the people that I can bring with me. Right. So it's not only that you're interviewing for the job, Frank, a lot of times you kind of have to behind the scenes quietly have people you trust that can keep a secret that you're saying, Hey man, I want you to come with me. If I get this job and I'm sure he has some candidates that he would look at uh, for the head coaching position on, on who would say, Hey, a lot of people wonder about David Quinn and the BU connection that and Quinn have and the Rangers. Right. So you, you look at, at that connection. Well, he was in New Jersey while David Quinn was in New York. Yeah. But they knew like both, they both were in New York at different times. So I think there's always that, Hey, the six degrees of separation kind of thing. They just, yeah, they both, they were both at BU. So they, and Mike Greer is a walk on, was he not? I don't remember. I think he was. I don't know the details. Yeah, I think he was. So, which is always kind of a cool story, but 
I look at Greer and he'll have had a plan of attack at least to say, okay, if I get, these are some moves. So you're, he's not going to come in completely behind the eight ball. He'll have a plan of attack, but I agree with you. Like but he's coming trust in. in your scouts. Like, and look, they, and I meant more for trades. Like he's the, the sharks are, are circling. Other GMs are going to be, and I, we, we've had lots of GMs in the pod. Remember talking about, well, who are the guys that were the hardest to deal with? You know, there's going to be some veteran GMs that are like, Hey, can I pull a fast one on Mike Greer? Well, and I'd love to see him turn the tables and, and really take advantage. Cause that's possible too. Um, we'll see. I just think it's for having this gone on. It feels like six months. I'd have to go back and look, when did they announce that Doug Wilson wouldn't be like, it's, it, it was well before the trade deadline. Like Joe will was the guy in charge of handling the Tomash hurdle negotiation. Yeah. Which they re they re-signed him right before the deadline. Like that's a, that's a really long time. To, like, does anyone think that the Rangers were blocking Mike Greer from getting this position? Like he was a consultant to Chris Drury. Yeah. It wasn't like he was in an entrenched front office position where they're saying, well, Hey, maybe we need to make a move to keep this guy. Chris Drury's somewhat newly installed himself and is the president of hockey ops already. He holds both titles to think that you couldn't have gotten this done. Had he been your guy a while back, same thing with Ray, Ray Whitney working in the department of player safety. Like, Really? Like if those were your two finalists, like this should have been done four months ago. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a fair comment for sure. Well, Frank, uh, we got the uh, GM meetings today and then the, the draft on Thursday and we'll have another uh, special pod. We'll be back on uh, Friday. Can't uh, wait to look you in the eyes across this couch again on Friday. Oh yes. I know you have been staring a little bit uh, too deep. At we times. are pretty close to Tyler's bed. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll uh, end on that note. Uh, have yourselves a great uh, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll talk to you Friday on the DFL rundown. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.